power of a father's blessing. I want to tell you my goal today is to share with you about the power of what fathers are carrying. And I believe the scriptures actually help us to understand that fathers are walking with and carrying a blessing that is to be given to their children that helps to shape their lives and to bring transformation that will result in lasting impact. Now, if you're not a father, you might say, Pastor Ben, this doesn't apply to me. And I would say to you, yes, it does. Because uh, uh, first of all, mothers, I gave you a message. I talked to you about the impact of a godly mother. That was a few weeks ago. And so you might be saying, well, what about the mothers? I gave you a message, okay? And if you weren't here, then you weren't here. Uh, but, I, but this is Father's Day, and I think it is right and righteous to, to focus on this, particularly from the Word, and to talk about the blessing that fathers are carrying for their kids. And, and this does still apply to you, mothers and singles, married, non-married, because we all have relationships, and as far as I can tell in Scripture, we all are carrying the blessing of the Lord that's to be given into the lives of people. And so you will have to retrofit this for your life, but I'm certain that you can... Uh, that you certainly can do that. I think it's quite clear, though, from Scripture and our own experiences that the role of a father is unique and powerful. Obviously, this influence can be transformative, and it can also be destructive. We, we know that. There's many statistics that you can read about uh, from over the last 30 to 40 years that show us what happens in the lives of kids when their father is absent. And on your notes, I just threw a couple of those in there. And I wanted you to know they're not random statistics. They're from the CDC and the U.S. Department of Justice, the Department of Correction, and the Census Bureau. And I want to throw these out to just show the power of an absent father because it proves that fathers truly are carrying something that shaped the destiny of their children. So this is the only negative side to this message. And here's what, here's what they say. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father or a present father. 43% of all U.S. children, yes, listen to me, 43% of all U.S. children live without their father in some way, shape, or form. It, it sounds unbelievable. I know when you read these, it sounds unbelievable. Like, what blog did you get these from? But when you begin to look at the research, as things have increased over the years, we realize that in a world that does not honor God's design for family, does not honor the father and mother, you're not even going to hear the negative statistics anymore because in order to bring forth negative statistics to show how powerful the role of a father is, you actually have to honor the role of father and mother to even do that. And so one of the reasons you won't hear about these negative statistics is because of the cultural moment that we're in. We have to actually shelf the idea of father, mother, and traditional marriage, even in a negative sense, because if we can prove that the absence of a father or a mother in a child's life, if we can prove that, it actually says that each gender is valuable, important, you can't just have two parents and love does not just mean love. That God has actually designed us to need the love of a father and to need the love of a mother. It is the way that things work. 
And so even when we look at this sort of negatively, what we find, and what I would say to you fathers in the room, is that you are carrying something that your children need. These statistics prove it. So just as much as we read on the negative side, I want to tell you on the positive side that when fathers take up what God has given to them and put inside of them and release that blessing to their kids, they will walk, maybe, if, maybe not initially, but they will eventually walk in what God has for their life. And truth be told, if we put our hand over our heart, everybody in this room wants their kids to walk in their fullness. Every, every father, every mother in the room wants that. Fathers, you carry something very, very powerful, and I want to talk to you about the Father's blessing. And there's a lot in Scripture that talk about blessing. In fact, the word bless or to bless is used 544 times in the Bible in many different forms. Now, some of those uses won't apply to where I'm going today, but primarily we find in the Old Testament there's this concept of one person blessing another, We'll read phrases like, he blessed them, or they blessed them, or God even saying, I will bless you. And this is a very common, uh, a common phrase that we read about. There are three primary ways that we'll see blessing as an action used in the Bible. And the first one is God blesses people. God is the source. People are the recipients. And the Bible will say again and again that God blessed them. And usually, this is where God is attaching what this word blessing means, protection, provision, favor. God blessed Adam and Eve, said, be fruitful and multiply. It, says, it first says he blessed them, and then he told them to be fruitful and multiply. He gave them what they needed, and then he told them what to do. You see it again with Noah. He blessed Noah. He blessed Abram. He blessed Isaac, he blessed Jacob. Again and again, it says God blessed them and then God told them what to do. He gave them what they needed and then gave them the command. It's a very interesting phrase. The second use of this term of one blessing another is where people bless God. Many times in scripture, you'll see this phrase, particularly in the Psalms, like bless the Lord, oh, oh my soul and all that is within me. And when that phrase is used, it's speaking of worship. I worship you, God. You are worthy. I bless you. In other words, we are giving back to God what he's given to us. We're using our voice. We're using our words. We're telling him that he's beautiful, that he's profound, that he's majestic. We are just as the creation, giving back to the creator. We're reflecting back to him what he's put inside of us. And we're, we're giving that through worship. The third way that this term blessing is used towards another is is where people bless a, a person or a family will bless a, a child or in particular what we're focusing on today, a father will bless his kids. There's a lot of instances of this. You could see Genesis 14, 24, really on and on and on, many different ways that we can look at this. But we find that it's a normal thing. I didn't have the revelation of blessing. I mean, we tend to think like, oh, Praise God, I'm blessed, you know, and we were talking about, sometimes people are talking about they got money or provision or whatever, and it's sometimes the, the weird version of the gospel that we don't preach here. It's like, I'm, praise God, I'm blessed, and they, I, whatever, I don't know what they're talking about. But the blessing of the Lord is not merely material possessions. And what I want to even tell you today is that we can see from the Bible that far more than money and far more than any financial inheritance, God has put something in fathers that he wants them to release to their kids that has nothing to do with material possessions or wealth or anything like that. And we're going to find it from the scripture. In particular, we're going to see it in Genesis 49. 
A father's blessing was typically where a father would prayerfully invoke the favor of God by speaking truthfully, prophetically, and declaratively over their kids. You find it when they're babies. It's what we do here on the stage. We dedicate children, and we pray over them. We speak over them. And you also find it when they're coming into their adulthood. In fact, blessing, a father's blessing, is an ongoing thing, and it never really, it never really ends. In Genesis 49, we have a whole chapter that is devoted to Jacob, or otherwise known as Israel, where he, at the end of his life, blesses his 12 sons. In fact, the first part of the chapter says that he, ga- he said, gather to me all my sons, because he's about to die. And then the whole chapter is a blessing over all 12 of his sons, and those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And these prophecies, these declarations are attached to their life, and you see them play out in not only the 12 sons, but the 12 tribes. It's very profound. It's very powerful. And I don't want to read all of those blessings that were spoken. I just want to read the summation at the end of chapter 49, verse 28. And here's what the Bible says. It says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. He had just gotten done prophesying over his sons. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, every one, with the blessing that was appropriate to him. It was specific. And then he charged them, and he said to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Mechpelah, I can't say it properly, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abram or Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, and there they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried Leah in the field and the cave that is in it, purchased from the sons of Heath. When Jacob finished charging his sons or blessing them, he drew his feet into the bed and he breathed his last and he was gathered to his people. So here he gathers his sons, he blesses them. We read all the way through chapter 49. And then he charges them after he blesses them and literally dies right after that. That's the story of Genesis 49. But it's the summation of a long story in the book of Genesis that starts in Genesis 25, where there's two brothers that were born, Jacob and Esau. We know Jacob understood the blessing of a father because in Genesis 27, he tricked his father to give him the firstborn blessing. You might remember that whole story. He tricked his father in a way where he would get the firstborn blessing. He stole it from Esau, which means that Jacob understood the power of a father's blessing. And so here he is at the end of his life. And the picture that I want to put into the minds of our fathers today, and and really all the rest of us, the picture is this, is that there was one thing that a man wanted to do before he died, and that was take everything that God had given to him and give it to his kids. I want that picture to stick into the minds of our fathers today, that there is something that you are carrying that shapes and imparts life into the destiny of your kids, no matter how old they are. And this man at the end of his life was thinking about one thing. And that one thing was, I've got to give everything to my kids before I die. And I believe that's a powerful picture. And it certainly inspires us to do the very same thing and realize that God's put a blessing into us that we need to give to them. I want to frame up the rest of my conversation today about the power of a father's blessing by talking to you about four things. That's right, four. I could have chose six, maybe even 16. Some of you have a 16-year-old, and you probably need 16 different blessings to give to them. 
Amen. But I want to give you four today, and the first one is this, the blessing of your intentional words. When we talk about the power of a father's blessing, we need to know what that means and what that is from Scripture. The blessing of your intentional words. The words that we speak to our kids and about our kids carry great power. They're not meaningless, they are meaningful. The importance of our words is actually a major theme in the book of Proverbs. You actually read about the power of speech, the power of tongue, the power of our words 150 times in the book of Proverbs. Clearly, it's an important topic for the writer. Many of those statements contrast the blessing or the harm that our words can bring. And the most profound one that's used, proverb anyways, is Proverbs 18.21. The New American Standard reads, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat from its fruit. I like the Message Bible in this regard. It actually says it a little bit differently. It says, words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Words kill or words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You choose. Something that we've got to recognize today as we look as fathers look towards releasing the blessing of God into the lives of their kids, is that we start with our words. What we are saying to our kids, what we are saying about our kids, and yes, what we say about our kids when they're not even there is actually very powerful as well. Because it starts to show us the way we think about our kids. How do we see them? How do we think about them? How do we pray for them? Are they, are they those that we are investing in that we're seeking to shape and we're seeking to bring transformation and life to them? Or are we just, are we annoyed by, come on, I'm, can I say it today? I've talked to far too many where, it, I, it, listen, I don't know how far I'm going to go. I always get in trouble when I do that. Hey, listen, <laughs> what's he going to say? Now you get your notepad out. <laughs> I wasn't taking notes until he said that. Now what's he going to say? Every now and again, I'd be sitting with, uh, with a man, and this isn't shame on you, this is shame off you, but this is an insight. Every now and again, I'm sitting with a man who will say things to me like, well, you know, I just don't do good with babies. Something like that. And I would say, well, you need to change. And I don't mean that in a disrespect, but it's not about what we're good at, it's about who we are, who they are, and what we're carrying for them. One of the blessings that I had was, I mean, I didn't know how to take care of babies. I never babysat when I was growing up. I just had them, you know. And uh, well, my wife had them and I was right there. I was right next to her, just coaching her on. Go, good job, you know. But now all of a sudden we've got babies and I can just remember there was such, it was so, it was like a holy moment to just hold my children in the middle of the night and pray over them and speak over them. They could not understand what I was saying. They couldn't understand what I was praying, but I could speak life over our kids. And sometimes you're like, you know, you do all that. And they're they're probably, if they could speak back to you, they say, stop it, man. What are you doing? You know, (laughs) but you just, you're holding your, these babies and they have no idea what you're saying, but you're speaking life over them, even still. It's not about what they say back to you. It's about what you're saying to them. Amen. It's about what you're speaking over them. It's about the life that's going into them. There's something that you're carrying. It's a blessing that gets released into the life of your kids. We can speak life, and we don't want to speak words that kill. In 2003, I've, I've shared with you, some of you, this story before, but I was on a road trip with my, with my dad, and we were going out to this conference. I had been a Christian at this point three and a half years, 
And I was a youth pastor at, at the time, and something that was happening in our church, it was very interesting. My senior pastor was 40, I was 23, and our church had grown, but now all of a sudden it's starting to shrink. And we kept hearing this a handful of times. We were a smaller church, so at the time, you, when you hear this a couple times, that's like a hundred times, you know, because you're just a smaller church. So every family that leaves, it's, it's, it's hurtful. <laughs> you're like, why are you leaving, you know? <laughs> Anyways, so... And, and because you see church's family, you understand? And, and so f at, at a young age, like this was, I was like giving my heart to people and then they just were like contemplating their, like leaving. And, and so we were hearing people were leaving the church and I think we had two or three families. It was something like that. And the reason that we continued to hear that they were leaving the church was because my pastor was too young and I was too young. I was like the second in charge. And so because the pastors were too young, we can't receive anything from you because of your youth. And so that was super discouraging because basically what the word was is there's really nothing you can do um, and there's nothing you have. That's what we heard. My pastor and I, that's what we heard. There's nothing you can do to change what you are and there's nothing that you have to give to me. And we thought, well, that sucks, <laughs> you know, but that was the reason for leaving the church and it was just something you can't change. You just got to live in that, sit in that. And, and, uh, and so I was frustrated on the road trip, I'm telling my dad about how frustrated I was. I'm a young pastor. I kind of don't know what I'm doing, and I'm hearing this word about, that, about people leaving. There's nothing I can do to change it. And as I'm venting my frustrations to him, somewhere along the line, he looks over at me, just out of the blue, and he says, Ben, you're not a boy anymore. You're a man. And you might hear that, and it might mean nothing. But when he said those words... It was like a smart bomb was like installed on the stronghold of my life and my, in my soul. And it blew something up. I mean, it just tore down this stronghold in my life. That's all he said. He looked over at me and he said, Ben, you're not a boy, you're a man. And at 23 years old, it, it, it brought something down in my life and confidence that I could not otherwise have that came from my heavenly father, through my earthly father, that blessing was given to me that day. And my dad didn't even know he was doing it. He wasn't trying to, but he was present in my life and he was listening to me. And there was something that God filled his heart with and he spoke it over me. And when he did, let me just tell you, I needed what he had to say. And I'm here to tell you today, fathers, that your words are profound to your kids. They're prophetic they, they need it. No, no matter what it looks like on the outside, sometimes our kids aren't asking for it. They don't look like they want it. And, and occasionally they roll their eyes when they get it. But let me tell you that our words are, are blessing into the lives of our kids. There are things that I can remember that were said growing up that were profound in the midst of very difficult moments even that I needed to hear. That some of you grown men, you'll reflect back and, and there'll be strange times in your life where a memory will sweep up and it will just touch you. I have watched uh, older men and they've, in my, in, even in my office, and they'll recall a memory that they haven't had for 
years and years, but all of a sudden, God will bring a memory back to them and they'll tear up. Men that don't cry will start to tear up and remember something that was profound that had been said to them that was hidden for some time, but now God opened it back up and said, I wanted this for a blessing in your life, but he didn't bring it to them until they were 65 or sometimes even 70, and he released it to them at the right time. See, sometimes our words are like seeds in the lives of our kids, and they're not gonna bear any fruit maybe until later on in life. And we're going through the storm or we're going through difficulties or even just as we're raising children and they go through teenage years and we often just sort of sigh over the seasons that we're in, but we've got to look past that and realize even in those moments that there are times where God will give us something special and profound and we've gotta be ready for it. We've gotta be available to it. Our, our words are blessings that God wants to give into the lives of our kids, fathers. Number two, the blessing of your passionate prayers. This is not only a good idea, but it's part of how the patriarchs bless their kids. We see it again and again. It says they bless them, and it means they prayed for them. Fathers, I want to tell you to pray for your kids every day. I mean, we'll miss a day or two. It's not legalism, but pray for your kids every day. Wake up in the morning and, and, and just spend some time in, in prayer. I, I personally pray for my kids every day. I do it in the morning, and I do it at night. And one of the things that I do, and you can do this if you want, is I lay my hands on my kids. I just lay my hands on my kids. I, I believe that there's something about faith and contact, and I just put my hands on them. And that, that doesn't mean what, you, you know, I don't, put my hand, I don't put my hands on them. I put my hands on them, amen? We're living in a world where people are putting their hands on kids. and You know, we've got to put our hands on our kids and bless them in the name of Jesus. And ask God to fill their life with the Holy Spirit and to cause them to rise up in righteousness and truth and and so every night when our kids go to bed, I put, my, I put my hands on them and I pray for them. I mean, they're so accustomed to it, they say nothing. I mean, you want to make it so normal, it's first nature. Like when your 35-year-old walks up to you, just put your hands on them. And you just, Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus. And they just submit to it. They just, you know, amen. Let's get it to where it's like that, that they get older and they just know it's going to happen. You come into my door, you come into my house, bam, that's where it, that's where we're going. Those are the things that, that people remember, by the way. The things sometimes that they roll their eyes from become the blessing. And I, I've had the privilege of doing I don't know how many funerals and memorial services and weddings and all that. I get, man, what a privilege I get. I can't even believe it. I get to be in people's ups and their downs. And I remember before I was a pastor, it was so much easier to be a real estate agent and to be in the business world. I, I just, it was, it was all incentivized. It was all, all that, you know, and you just have a small period of time where you see people and then it's like, God bless you, have a great life and house, you know. It was just easier. But church, it, it was like, I don't, I don't want to do somebody's wedding. I don't want to do somebody's memorial service. I'm going to screw it up and I'm going to be that guy. And then God changed my heart and he showed me that it was a profound privilege to stand with people even in some of their darkest moments. Like, who gets to do that? And I realized it wasn't about what I said or me. It was about being able to facilitate something that God wanted to do right there. And man, I love it. I mean, seriously, I just consider it one of the greatest privileges of my life to stand in those places with people. Um, somebody's got to, and I, I'm just thankful that I get to do it. And I've been to many, many memorial services. I've facilitated them, conducted them. And it's pretty amazing what people say at the end of someone's life. And I look forward to it, actually. I, I've seen some dark memorial services, suicides and difficulties, and I've seen them, but there, there are so many more where people say things that are profound, and they inspire me. They shape me. 
prayers that were prayed over people by those that have now gone to be with the Lord, profound, profound. I can tell you this, a praying person is always remembered. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, they were always praying. They were always, and those annoying things that like, oh, they were laying their hands on people. They were always asking my friends and family members if, I, if they needed prayer. And it just kind of like, almost like people were embarrassed while they were living. And now they're reflecting on their life going like, you know what I really was? I, was, I really felt guilty because they were living in a way that I want to live and I don't. And it was actually a point of guilt. And now God is using it to shape them in their future. And it's profound. I look at a couple of scriptures in the Bible to help us with this. There are two pictures. First is Job and the second is David. A passage in Job chapter one that's always sort of touched my heart is, is it's here in verse five. When it says this, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And let me just interpret this for you. Job woke up early in the morning every day and he offered burnt sacrifices to God for his kids just in case they sinned. Just in case. This is the kind of conviction that a man carried as he walked in the responsibility of being a father. Talk about blessing. Talk about blessing. I'm going to live in such a way to cover my kids just in case they're not walking in the way of righteousness. I mean, that is a profound statement to me. There's another one that also inspires me when we look at the life of David. In fact, there's a brief overview of David, the end of David's life as a king, and he prays for the nation of Israel, and he prays for his son Solomon, who's going to succeed him as the king over Israel. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 18, David's prayed over the nation. In verse 18, it says, O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. And listen to this. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all of your commands and your laws and your decrees and to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. David was not able to build the temple of God. The Lord didn't allow him to because he said, you're a man of bloodshed, you're a man of war, you're a man of anger. If you read David's story, um, he's not all sanctified, okay? Okay. And so God did not allow him to build a temple, but what David did, he said, I'm going to make all the preparations so that my son can do it. So he got all the timber and the gold and the silver and he put it aside. He actually had this in his mind. It was part of his vision. I'm gonna get everything ready so that Solomon can do what God did not allow me to do. And Solomon did do it. I believe it was within seven years or so, he was able to build the temple of the Lord. One of the first things Solomon did actually and so David had this vision for his son, but before he dies, because this is literally right when he dies, he blesses his son and he prays, I pray wholehearted devotion over Solomon. This is a prayer that we as fathers can pray over our kids every day of their life. Father, I thank you. I pray that my kids would surrender to you, live in wholehearted devotion to you, that they would walk in righteousness, that they would rise up and they would bless you and they would speak the truth, and they would speak it in love. That the name of Jesus would be on their lips, and the nature of Jesus would be in their hearts. This is what we pray, and this is a blessing that we release to our kids. The third blessing is the blessing of your consistent presence. The blessing of a father cannot be reduced to words and prayers only. Our words and prayers are most, most powerful when they're accompanied by our presence. We cannot be 
absent relationally, spiritually, emotionally. You've heard the term that um, a father is absent relationally, but physically present. A father or mother can be absent spiritually or emotionally, but physically present. And we know that creates a lot of damage. In fact, I have a, a friend for a long time, he was the director over a large organization that had um, institutions where at-risk teens would, would go there for 30 to 60 days. So they had like shelters and they had counseling, uh, they had counseling offices and all that. His job was to oversee all the operations and, and really provide mediation between parents and kids that were at risk. They would do seminars and conferences and they would also provide, you know, 30 to 60 day in-home care so kids could go there for a period of time because it was quite difficult what they were going through. And I remember talking to my friend one time and I was asking him all these questions like, what are the normal things that you see? Because you're facilitating all of these seminars and counseling appointments and all this stuff. And he's, because his goal was to reunite families. That was their goal, the goal of this organization. And he said this to me and I won't forget it. He said, the main thing when we get parents to the table and we get kids to the table who are considered at risk and it's very difficult and these homes are in disarray and, and they're not in unity and all kinds of volatile things are happening. The one thing that we recognize again and again and again is, is the parents and the kids spend no time together. They have no physical contact. There's no real presence in the kid's life. So often what happens is the kids will act out because they're in a way, in their own soul, they're saying, I need something that I'm not getting. I want something and I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to get it. And I know it's not being given. And so they don't know, they're not old enough you know, they're not developed enough to, to do that. That's why so many people, when they get older in life, they reflect back on what they didn't have. That's why that happens, especially when people go through counseling, because they're processing what they didn't have because they felt the hole throughout their upbringing. And so my friend said that we find always the case is that there's just very little contact. There's very little presence, if any at all. In fact, he would even tell me that the parents are quite annoyed by their children and their perspective is very clear to their kids. And so what we know from this is that our physical presence matters. We can speak to our kids. We can pray for our kids, but we've got to be present for our kids as well. These all go together. And this is a blessing in the life of our kids. There are things that I can remember about my parents that maybe they didn't do everything well, but there are things that I can remember where they were there. And sometimes when we as parents or we as fathers feel helpless, and, and it's sort of, there's this guilt that comes over us. There's actually shame that's, that's here. And that's why I've never really liked um, the subtle, indirect, shame on you message on Father's Day, which is not happening right now, men. Every now and again, I mean, we would bless moms. We would honor moms on Mother's Day. Moms, you're amazing. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. You deserve the world. And we're sorry we can't give it to you. That's what we would say. And then fathers would sort of get this underhanded, like, get your act together, guys. And that, what that does is it further affirms the shame that many already feel. You say, are you serious? It didn't happen in Northwest Church, but it does happen in many other places. There's this underhanded, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you don't have what it takes. When in reality, our Heavenly Father says, you do have what it takes. I've given you everything that you need, and you're carrying what your kids need. That's the message. And you can take what I've put inside of you, and you can bless your kids. And even if you don't see the fruit of it initially, it's coming. It's coming, just like when you plant a seed and you water it, friends, you know it's coming. And this is what we're talking about today. Fathers are carrying seeds for their kids and they just gotta plant them. 
And being physically present is part of that. Present to speak over their life. Present to hear sometimes what we need to hear. And there really is something to be said for hearing what our kids aren't saying as much as what they are saying. And I believe today, even as I'm going to ask you fathers to stand in just a few moments, I'm going to pray that God would give you prophetic discernment, insight into the hearts of your kids in this season, that you would not only hear what they're saying, but what they're not saying. Amen. God can give us that. God can give us words specifically for our kids. We cannot be physically present and relationally, emotionally, spiritually absent. We have to be there entirely. So I'm not just talking about being there, but I'm talking about actually being available. The fourth and the final blessing is the blessing of your godly example. I think it's a terrible thing for children when they have an example of a parent that preaches Jesus but lives like Satan. This kind of hypocrisy is, is more dangerous than, than anything else. And it's, it imparts the exact opposite to our kids that we're trying to give to them. But here's the reality, though. No father is perfect. When we look at the examples I'm even giving you today, Jacob and David and Solomon, they've got a whole list of pretty terrible things, which most of us have never touched for, for the most part. But I, I would tell you our honest and our humble and our transparent walk with God impacts our kids far after we're gone. That really is what touches their lives, whether we know it or not. And they need to see our walk with God. It provides a path for them and how they're supposed to walk and what they're supposed to do. They need to see that in their fathers. They need to see their fathers pray and love the Lord and serve and be generous and kind and patient and strong when things get tough. They need to see their fathers cover their mother. They, they, even if you're divorced, they still need to see those words of blessing come out of their fathers over their ex-spouse. I mean, even in situations like that, they need to see it in us. They need to hear it in us. And so here's the deal. If, if it's not present right now, and maybe you're saying, Pastor Ben, do I just gotta strive and struggle? No, we need to surrender. It's not about striving and struggling more. It's about surrendering more to Jesus and saying, I can't, but you can. Would you help me? Would you help me to be the godliest example to my kids that is possible so that they can rise up and have the very best? An inheritance that we leave behind is not, should not be materially focused. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1, this is what it says. It says, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth, and favor is better than silver and gold. Remember that a good name in ancient cultures meant, that, uh, meant more than anything. You got that from your parents. If, if your father lived a good life and he didn't cheat people, and he was a godly example, and he didn't live the way of unrighteousness, that name that he carried, he carried it for the whole family, and you could walk in that. There was a sense in which you'd walk into the city gates and you were blessed. But if your father walked in unrighteousness, what came upon the whole family was shame. There was a shame culture. And so you would have a certain kind of name. You're from that family with that father who's done that thing. And that's why the scripture says a good name is to be more desired than great wealth. In other words, you can give your kids a lot of money and houses and material possessions. But the fact is, if we didn't walk in such a way that can cause our kids to stand up straight, we've actually deprived them of what God gave to us for them. He did not want us to work so hard our whole life so we could give them $100,000. But our true inheritance for our kids is the way that we lived and what we gave to them. Jared, you can come. 
We see the clearest example also in the line of kings. You know, when a king, it was chronicled about the end of their life, it said, this king did righteous in the eyes of the Lord, and this king did unrighteous in the eyes of the Lord. I find it really fascinating that often when there was a righteous king, most often, not always, but most often, their sons had a really good shot of walking righteously before the Lord as well. But when it talks about an unrighteous king, often their son lived an unrighteous life as well. He walked in the ways of his father. Have you ever read this in the Bible? He walked unrighteously in the ways of his father. What is that saying? It is saying there's something profound about how we live and that it actually is an impartation of blessing. The way that we live. I'll close with, with, by saying this. There's a friend of mine in our church. Um, I was talking to him a couple weeks ago. He doesn't know I'm saying this, uh, so I'm gonna generalize the story, but he was in my office and he was telling me that uh, he's getting to the end of retirement He's been in our church for a long time, and he's been meditating and contemplating on what God has for him in this next chapter, like Pastor Susanne brought up today. And he's been thinking about it, like, what does the Lord want me to do? And as he was talking about me, he was raised in another country, and he said, you know, my dad was a pastor, and he left us, our, the kids, physically, financially nothing. He left us nothing. We didn't have anything. He, he didn't have anything. He, he was a pastor, and he, he gave everything that he had while he was living but he said, but what he gave to me was that he was a man that always was seeking to reach people in Jesus' name. He loved his family, and he gave his very best while he was alive. And he said, I've realized that that's what I want to give to my kids. And he talked about even when his dad was in like hospice care, his dad was still trying to reach the nurses for Jesus. He was, he's like, that's the picture that my dad left with me. And, it's, and he said to me that day, he said, I've just been thinking about what, what am I giving to my kids? What am I leaving with them? And you know, in a moment like that, I mean, I just teared up because I was like, that profoundly impacted me. It's like, that's exactly what I want to give to my kids. Like nothing else matters. And so we go back to Genesis 49 and we realize at the end of his life, Jacob wanted to do one thing. We go back to David's story in 1 Chronicles. At the end of his life, David wanted to do one thing. I want to bless my kids. I want to give them everything that God has given to me. I want to release it into their care. And friend, you know what? We do not have to wait until our last days. We can do it right now. And sometimes it's the mundane stuff that we don't think was that profound. But when we look back, we realize it was in the mundane where God released the greatest blessing. And so here's what I want to do today. I, first of all, to those who are fathers in the room, God bless you. I believe this is a great time for us, no matter how old our kids are, to give them everything that God's given to us. And I want to pray over you today that the anointing of God would fall upon your life to give you prophetic insight and discernment for all that God wants to do both in you and, and through you. So would you stand? Would you fathers stand real quickly? Let us bless you today. We're gonna bless you that you would be a blessing. That's the blessing of Abraham. If you're around them, won't you lay hands on them, stretch your hands towards them, amen. Father, we thank you. You're the one that we look to. You're our heavenly Father, and we bless your holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, Father, we ask you to give to us, men in the room that are fathers. We pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would bless us, that we would be a blessing. Father, I pray that right now you would give us everything that we need. Would you heal us that we could bring healing? Would you fill us that we could bring the power and the life of the Holy Spirit? Would you speak to us words that we can give to our children? Give us insight and new discernment. I pray for added discernment this week 
for all the fathers in the room. I thank you for their lives. I thank you for their, our first ministry, which is to give to our, our family. And I pray, God, that you would sharpen them, that you would shape them. I pray that you would put scriptures into them for each one of their kids, that they would carry life verses. And they also, Lord, in this time of their life, would move towards that godly example and being the men that you've called them to be. And it would literally transform their home. We thank you, Lord, for transformed homes right now. We thank you that as we stand, we are standing for our kids. We are standing for their righteousness. We are standing for holiness. We are standing for a future generation that will do greater than we have ever imagined because we today are declaring that we're gonna give our days to you. And so, Lord, right now, we surrender our fathering to you that you would use it in the lives of our kids, that they would be better than us, that they would go farther than we've gone. They would do more than we could do. They would be more godly than we've ever been. They would pray more than we've prayed. They would know the word better than we've ever known it. They would reach more people than we could have ever reached. So today we stand for that. Would you bless each man in this room to father just like you? We thank you for them today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Will you just give a hand clap to our fathers today and celebrate them? God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.